So go ahead, grab your Bibles, head on over to James chapter 1. We'll be there, uh, well, two more times today and one more time afterwards. Um, while you're going there, I'll tell you, uh, a while back I was, I was helping out with a, a Bible study that meets in the Manhattan jail over there by Target. Doesn't look like a jail, that's what that building across the street is. Uh, anyway, it was this interesting experience just getting into the building. You have to go through a number of these extremely heavy locked doors, and uh, after uh, a little while, I found myself sitting in a little bitty room with this dirty table in it, and uh, eventually one guy wandered in. We didn't know if anyone was going to show up at all. One guy wanders in. His name's Tony. It's a common enough name. I feel like I can throw it out there. Right? I, I, I don't know what he was in for. Uh, what I do know is he had been in that jail, not prison, but jail for over a year, so it probably was not a speeding ticket. And we opened up to the book of John, and I thought, well, we'll dig into this, but it didn't take long to realize that what he really wanted to talk about was, was his own life, his own experiences, the, the choices that he's made in his life, some of which got him here, some that were just life things. He wanted to talk about his understanding of, of God and what sort of future he might have if he ever gets out of here. And at one point, Tony said, uh, you know, the only thing that I need to change, and he paused there. He just became kind of fixated on this empty spot right in the middle of the, the table. And it gave me a, a few moments there to actually think through this. And I found myself just in, incredibly in, intrigued to know what would be the one thing that this man feels like he needs to change. And it's at this point that Tony just shook his head and finally finished the sentence. He said, the only thing that I need to change is everything. It seemed like quite a heavy statement there. You ever feel that way? Everything, right? I, I mean, I asked it at this point because reading through the book of James can sometimes seem like an itemized list of our failures, things that we need to change. And uh, it can feel, you know, kind of like some heavy stone that you, you have this burden that you must move and yet realize, you know what, I don't have the capability, it seems, to be able to move this. Well, today I, I want you to see that, that James, and then ultimately God, right, it is, it is, his desire is for us to change if we need changing, real change, to become more like Christ, to become more godly, more holy. Yes, that is absolutely emphatic about it, and we're going to see that today, we're going to see that in the weeks ahead, and, and yet he doesn't view this as some sort of self-willed, you know, do it by yourself, just, just make the list and complete it kind of mindset, and, and I want you to just from the beginning realize this, that the grace of God is not a reward for our efforts. The, the grace of God is the gift of God. It's the unmerited love of God that empowers us for the change that he calls us to, right? Among other things, such as our eternal salvation. Now let's, let's go ahead and read, and we're just reading three verses today. It's a, it's a short little bit. James 1, we're going to begin in verse 19. So if you will, follow along right there. Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. The grass withers, the flower fades. Let's pray. Blessed Lord, you who have ordained these precious words to be recorded for our benefit, we ask that you would grant that we may hear them, really hear them, that we might believe them, that we might inwardly receive them this morning. 
It's in the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen. So I love that James doesn't begin with how so many of us might want to, right? You people, what's wrong with you people? He, he begins by, by saying, right, know this. The, and then he calls them my beloved brothers. And you're going to see this throughout James. There's a few other times where he does this, where he keeps reiterating, my beloved brothers. And, and the reason is he's expressing, one, that the, he has this love for them because if he's going to bring all this correction, they need to know this is in love. You know, this is for the good of your life. It's, it's, it's for your good that way. It's not because I just want to condemn you. Uh, not only that, but by calling them brothers, it tells us that the, these instructions, these corrections, it's, it's not some backhanded accusation of, you know what, you guys are not believers, and I can tell because of this, 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 and this. That, that's not what's going on. He's affirming, yes, I, I, I see your faith in the Lord, and, and let's, let's build that. Let's see what, where the Lord takes us with that. And then James begins with those three succinct commands, right? Let every person be quick to hear. And you can kind of repeat that first part just to make sense, right? Let every person be slow to speak. Let every person be slow to anger. And we're going to consider each of these in order. Now, the, the first one, right, to be quick to hear. It may be easier, actually, in the way we speak to understand it as be quick to listen. Because you and I know that listening and hearing can sometimes be a little different, right? Uh, most of us are pretty good at hearing. But not all of us are so good at listening to what is actually said. You ever had this experience in your life where someone says, hey, did, did you clean up your room like I asked you to? Or, or maybe did you pick up the kids like you were supposed to? And the other person says, well, no, uh, I didn't even, you never told me that. I wasn't supposed to do that. And then, of course, comes back, yes, I did. You even acknowledged it. You responded to me, something like that. I mean, that happens in our house often. Are we the only place that this is happening? Um, you know, and, and meanwhile, your kids are out in the snow somewhere waiting for someone to pick them up. Now, I mean, anyway, listening is important. And it appears, the context that James is speaking this, this statement about listening to here, is within this, this idea of a disagreement, some kind of, um, not necessarily an argument, but where two people don't necessarily agree on something. Maybe it's a theological conversation about predestination or whether, you know, Abraham knew the whole time that God wasn't going to let him sacrifice Isaac or not. Maybe it's about how they respond to the, the ungodly Roman government at this time. Or, or, or maybe he's thinking about disagreements between politics and, and medical wisdom, right? I mean, can you imagine a world where Christians had to navigate this, where, where they had different views on, on politicians and different views about mask or vaccine, and, and, you know, should they be rejected or accepted and, and had to wrestle through that? I mean, how do you think we'd handle something like that? Hopefully we never find out. Well, we don't know the specifics that James is writing here, talking to here. Maybe there's not a specific issue at this time. Maybe he's just speaking to the general sinful nature of our hearts. Um, you know, to, to do the exact opposite is how we tend to do these things of, of what he calls us to here. I mean, how, how would you assess yourself here? Right off the bat, are you, are you a, someone who is quick to listen? Are you quick to listen to someone? Especially someone that you disagree with. You, you ever wonder why we, we often don't listen to others so well. I mean, sometimes it's just that we find the other person boring, right? I, hard to pay attention to you because of what you're saying. Uh, maybe you already know what they're going to say, right? Or you kind of can see where this is going and you've lost interest or they say it all the time. 
Uh, listen, when, if someone feels the need to tell you the same story countless times, there is a reason for that. Either it is very important to their heart or, or they feel it is very important for you to know and they're not convinced that you do understand this yet. And I, and I say that because we've got to learn to be kind and attentive, to be patient in those moments. And I, I admit, I, I struggle in those moments when I'm like, I already know what you're going to say here. Learn, learn to be kind there. Now, you, you never know, perhaps even, right, that God's going to uh, use this moment, use this, this interaction with you for helping them move past whatever it is that's leading them to say this over and over. Now, other times we, we fail to listen simply because we are just too distracted, right? We, we've come out of the most Zoomed era in the history of the world. Uh, all of you have probably experienced either meetings on Zoom or something like Zoom or classes or chatted with friends. Uh, we as a church spent a few weeks meeting on Sunday morning on Zoom. I, I think we've all learned one simple fact that we don't listen and we don't learn particularly well on Zoom. Uh, it's quick to blame Zoom for this, right? Or it, you know, but it might also be the fact that it allows us to be incredibly distracted when we're on it. Right? You, you know the experience. You're watching Zoom, kind of. You're listening to Zoom, kind of. But you're also scrolling social media. You're writing an email that you needed to get done. You're, you're checking on something, researching something that came to your mind. You're so distracted that at the moment when they finally someone calls your name on there, there's that, that panic of like, oh, I don't even know what's going on. How am I supposed to answer whatever they just said? Now, it's, it's, it's right then, right, that you, you realize that, that you have once again proven false, that ongoing myth that, that, that the human mind can actually multitask. It cannot. We, we do this face-to-face -face as well. We do it a little better. The distraction happens in our own thoughts when we wander away mentally or, or maybe because a, a chime of a notification draws us out of whatever is being done there as we must tend to that relentless taskmaster. Your, your phone is the enemy of focus, right? Or focus listening. Even in this worship service, if you're responding to check, uh, text or checking email or, or seeing, you know, what's the weather in Hawaii right now? Because it's very hot here or cold here. Right? If that's what you're doing, then mentally you're not really present here. You're not really engaged in the singing and engaged in the prayers. Not, not really being quick to hear the preaching of the word. At other times, we, we fail to listen to another person because, if we're honest, we just don't care. I don't care what they have to say. You know? Uh, listen, it, it won't be easy. But, but general respect for another person, uh, it challenges us to actually care about what they say. Right? Not just what's your natural response. Do I naturally care or not? But to challenge yourself to, to really do that. Um, especially when it becomes clear that the two of you do not agree on an issue, which really leads to another reason that we don't listen well, namely that we care too much about being right, that we pridefully just want to talk over someone. After all, that's, that, that's what pretty much every example we, we, we see of talking heads on television is showing us for decades now. Now, I, I know I, I, I will fundamentally, if I sit down with someone who is advocating for abortion, we will fundamentally disagree with each other. But that doesn't mean that I should refuse to listen to, to why they believe what they believe. In fact, by being quick to listen in these sort of moments, uh, to extend that sort of respect to someone, even someone that I disagree with, by being curious about their life story and, and what it is, why they believe these things they do, it, it sets a tone to the conversation where, where more often than, I, than ever the other way, right, they will actually listen to my views and the reasons uh, that, that I have to show the same respect back. And the Lord wants us to interact this way. 
He models it for us even. You remember when, when Jesus conversed with the Samaritan woman at the well? Remember he didn't just talk over her? Your ideas are dumb, right? He didn't just, just get louder or ignore her or anything like that. He conversed with her. He listened. I, I, I find it sadly fascinating in, in our day, right, of Christendom, the wider church culture, uh, just how highly we value the skills of elegant speech. All of our heroes, our celebrities, are, are those who are skilled at speaking, right? Matt Chandler, Mark Driscoll, but probably not so much anymore. Tim Keller, Jen Wilkin, John Piper, whoever you want to name, right? These, these well-known speakers on and on. And, and yet here is, is James, right? He is elevating not the skill of speaking well, but he's elevating the skill of listening well. That should mean something to us. Diedrich Bonhoeffer once said, Christians so often think they must always contribute something when they are in the company of others, that this is the one service they have to render. And he's talking about speaking, saying something in this moment. And he goes on, he says, they forget that listening can be a greater service than speaking. And so here, James out here, right, when he, when he says, be quick to hear. Let's learn to listen well. Uh, the second command that he gives here is for every person to be to be slow to speak. First of all, James doesn't say never speak ever, right? He, he says be slow to speak. There is, there is this really cheesy saying. You're going to know it most of you right off the bat, right? Uh, here it is. Um, there is a reason God gave you two ears and one mouth. You heard that before, right? You kind of get what it means. Theologically, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Otherwise, are we going to evaluate the rest of our body that way, right? Are we supposed to smell more than we look at things? Um, but you get the idea. The whole point of it is just to help you remember to, to listen more than you actually speak. And, and this ties in with the previous command perfectly, right? Because if you are quick to listen, you, you're also slow to speak. You can't do them at the same time. And, and so the basic point is this. Sometimes we are so quick to jump in and say whatever it is we think we know about a situation, you know you do this, right? Let me just, I'm going to tell you everything I know here, or think I know, that, that we just cut people off in the middle of their sentences, that we raise our voices over them. Proverbs 29.20 speaks to this saying, Do you see a man who is hasty in his words? There is more hope for a fool than him. It doesn't bode well for us when we, when we practice conversations that way. So slowness to, to speak, you start to understand, is a, a countercultural Christian virtue. And so be slow to speak. Uh, be slow to reply to that text or that email. Be slow to, to tweet that tweet. Uh, be slow to comment on that post. You know, whatever it is, wherever it is that moment to speak, be slow to do so. And this, this brings us to the third statement in James' string of commands here. Uh, let every person be slow to anger. First of all, not all anger is sin. We've talked about this before. We'll talk about it again, right? Jesus, our Lord, was angry on a number of occasions. In Mark 10, 14, uh, it tells us that Jesus was indignant, right? He's indignant, meaning angry. And the reason he was angry at this time is as people were trying to bring their children to him and his disciples wouldn't let them bring their children to him. And he became angry at his disciples. Mark 3, 5, we learn that Jesus looked around at the religious leaders with anger. Why? Because they'd accused him of, of sin when when in mercy he's healing a man on the Sabbath. And, and of course, the one you probably all know already, right? When, when Jesus was angry, when he comes in the temple, and he sees, oh, they've converted into some sort of shopping mall here to take advantage of the poor. And in each case, Jesus was justified to be angry. But in every case, he was also slow to be angry. 
What I'm saying is, is Jesus didn't fly off the handle. And, and if you picture him flying off the handle in, in the cleansing of the temple, right? If that's the way you picture him, then your imagination has gone beyond what the scripture actually says. You filled it in with something that's not there. We, we also know that, that God the Father is angry at times. Do you, do you remember how God speaks about himself to Moses in, in, in Exodus 34, 6? He says, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious slow to anger. God's anger is a righteous anger. It is not him blowing up or, or raging. You, 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 might have, you might actually have righteous anger at times in your own life, driven by the concern, right, for the glory of God, or, 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 or that comes up because of some injustice to, to the weak, or something like that. But, but, but James is talking about a specific kind of anger here when he is talking here, which is, which is far more common to our actual real life experience, or day-to-day life experience. And, and, and that's the anger that comes when, when we do the opposite of what he's commanded us so far in those first two ones, right? When we are quick to speak, when we are slow to listen, and we're engaging with someone, and we disagree with that person, that, that short fuse that is, that is lit because what, you're disrespected maybe? Something along those lines. And you know, think about it. Think about the last few times you have been angry. How did it happen? Right? What, what caused it? <clears throat> and you know, it, it comes from all kinds of things, right? Uh, a couple months ago, I'll tell you a dumb one. I don't have it in my notes here. But um, a couple months ago, actually, we have this blender. It's the worst blender in the world. It comes down, tapers to the center, so it's incredibly top-heavy. Uh, anyway, it's got this button, and I happened to use it, and I was trying to take it off, and the lid wasn't on it, and I must have hit the button. Uh, and it just, stuff flying everywhere, and the whole family's in the kitchen this time, and they're all laughing, and like, what are you doing? And I'm like, it's just going off. I don't know why. I didn't touch the button, and I just swore by it, right? That, I didn't touch this button. It's just blending everything everywhere. And, and it's one of those things in the moment, as they're getting on to me, I'm getting madder at them. Like, I'm the victim here. How are you, like, you just kind of get mad. And you're, before you know it, you, you don't even realize what a dumb thing to be mad about. But, but, but a lot of that is kind of this, this way that we deal with anger. It happens so quick. And James here, right, he's talking about the sort of anger, uh, you know, that it, it's what Paul in Galatians 5.20 calls fits of anger. Right, Paul there is, is giving this list that, that he, right, the title of the list is these are the works of the flesh and there's all kinds of things in there, things like, you know, orgies and sexual sin and stuff, but he also includes this fits of anger, anger that's thrown in there. That, that's the kind of anger he's talking about. Now, have you ever evaluated what it, what, what's at the heart of your anger? Often it's, it's fear. It's fear of losing something. Maybe fear of losing your reputation or fear of losing the, the cultural values that, that we hold dear. Maybe it's a fear of, of losing some, some position of power or position of power in that moment. When, when we feel powerless, anger tends to explode. Well, well you know, you, you, you look at someone, why, why won't you do what I want you to do? Or why won't you be what I want you to be? But when you can't control a situation, right, that gives birth to anger in your life. When you, when you end up behind that Prius that's going five miles under the speed limit and you're late for somewhere and you can't move them and you can't make them go faster, it's all out of your control, right? Anger. That's why so many men yell at cars. We, we also tend to get angry when we perceive injustice. And yeah, we're talking about like the moral injustice that we see in our culture, but even silly things too, like when the ref fails to call what is clearly a foul in favor of your team, 
right? Go to one of those K-State basketball teams. You'll see the, the people care about injustice, right? You've got to yell at that ref. He's got to know. Now, much of our quickness to anger is from an actual self-righteousness even, right? You, you do everything right and someone actually gets rewarded or the same thing and instead of you. Think, think of the outrage of the older brother in, in the, the parable of the prodigal son, right? He's thinking, my brother's awful. He took all the money. He squandered things. And we're going to celebrate him when I've been here, been doing everything perfect? You know, that's, that's that anger, that rage from self-righteousness. Now, now, James elaborates on this anger a bit in verse 20. Look at it. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Now, it's important here to know that James is not using the word righteousness in the same way that Paul uses the word righteousness. He's not using it in that legal salvific, right, about salvation. Um, he's using it more like we see it used in the Old Testament and, and like Jesus uses it, particularly in the Sermon on the Mount, right? I'll give you, uh, there's a few instances there. But in Matthew 6.1, Jesus says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. He's not saying beware of practicing your legal righteous, you know, right standing before the Lord in front of other people, right? He's talking about uh, a, a godly way of living. The, thus, your, your anger does not lead to a righteousness, a godly way of living. It, it doesn't glorify God. It doesn't display the grace of God. Over the, the, the pressures of the past few years, right, you, you've probably known or observed some angry Christians in your life or somewhere online or something, right? And in regards to that, Sinclair Ferguson says this. He says, Alas, he's Scottish, so you have to start with alas. Uh, alas, I don't have an accent or I do it. Angry Christians usually do not know themselves well enough. They do not understand the jarring nature of their behavior and have no sense that they have spiritual bad breath. Instead, they assume that they are the guardians of, of the righteousness of God. James tells them, and us, very bluntly, that the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires, either in others or in ourselves. Now, we, we mostly think of quick to anger as, as the explosive type that I've, I've mentioned so far. I, I do want to mention this, that there is another ex expression of, of anger that is, is just as sinful, but not always as obvious. And, and that's the anger in, the, in, in your heart that is expressed by, by clamming up, by giving someone the silent treatment, by, you know, the, the scowl on someone's face when, when you can see it. But it's not explosive, it's more internal. It probably helps dealing through this to understand that just because you don't have the explosive type of anger doesn't mean you're, you're not dealing with anger, right? What, which type of anger are you most prone to? And if you're married, I'm sure your spouse can identify this for you very quickly. And so then what do we do with this information? For, for one, we remember again that the, the command isn't never ever get angry. That's not... The expectation here is if you have to just bury everything forever, right? The, the command is to be slow to anger. And, and that means that sometimes you, you've just got to, to step away for a moment. You've got to close your eyes. You've got to take that deep breath. And in that first moment, you've got to take it to the Lord in prayer. And that is a difficult thing to do, but that's a habit we need to be getting into. You, you've got to take that moment to ask the Holy Spirit to calm your heart, to remove that desire, that instinct for just rage and to replace it with with the desire that is is to be reasonable right to, to speak and behave in a godly manner even in the midst of what you're feeling and and sometimes in that a process there you're gonna you're gonna learn that one either the best way to handle this anger in a way that is productive and respectful and kind and and honest about it right or, or other times you're gonna realize that you should probably just abandon your anger 
right? Take the loss and try to move forward because you realize, you know what? This is just selfish and wrong to begin with. I have no right to be angry here. I mean, honestly, that's, that's why it's good that, that you get into practice, right? You want to know how to practice this. You, you get a practice of actually interrogating yourself in regards to the anger that you are feeling, kind of like the way that God uh, interrogated Jonah's anger. And, and Jonah 4.4, right? Uh, Jonah is, is furious at the moment. He didn't like what God's asking him to do. And, and God asked him, Jonah, do you do well to be angry? That was interesting that he asked that question. God also often asks questions to people that he knows the answer to. In other words, he's asking, is it, is it right for you to be angry about this? When angry, ask yourself that question. You know, Brian, is it right for you to be angry about this big mess you just made in the kitchen? Probably need to take the loss on that one. So much of anger is about self-control, which is not about our own power at all. You might remember uh, in Galatians 5, right, I mentioned fits of anger as one of the works of the flesh in in Galatians 5. Well, Paul kind of gives these two lists in Galatians 5. You have the fits of anger, uh, and you have the other one, the fruit of the Spirit, and that's in Galatians 5.22. And and here he's he's listing these things that are fruit because of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us, and they include things like like peace, right, things like patience. And do you remember what the very last of the the fruit of the Spirit is? Not a kiwi, self-control right? Self-control. Christian, listen, you, you are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. There is power in the reality of that. And so start asking God to strengthen your efforts and, and self-control in the moments that your initial reaction might be to go off on someone or, or to try to punish them with the silence or the scowl, right? Ask the Lord for that. And this brings us to our, our last verse today, verse 21. Have a look there. We'll read in a minute. I mean, because here we are, we are told because we are prone to not listening, because we are often hasty with our words, because we often lash out in unrighteous anger, because of all of that, we are called, therefore, to put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. The, the anger James has been talking about is this more external, right? What does this look like when it, when it comes out of somebody? What is that, right? Uh, harsh words and scowling faces. And, and now he's taking it back a bit. It's going, taking a step back. It's going internal. In Matthew 12, 34, Jesus said, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? What's, what's true in here? Blah. Our problem with anger begins in the hearts. And, and yes, you've, you've been renewed. You have been redeemed in Christ. But every one of us are also recovering sin addicts. We, we are still in process of becoming in our day-to-day life more like Jesus, more holy, more sanctified. And that process will continue until the day that Jesus returns in glory. Now the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 4.22 talks about uh, our transformation and he uses this illustration. He puts it in terms of clothing, right? That we... Uh, he says that we, we put off the old self. You take those dirty old things that are corrupt and full of evil desires and remove them. And then two verses later, he says that we put on the new self. And that is, he says it is created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. And we see similar language here with, with James, don't we? He says put away, right, that's that take off language, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness. Now notice two things here. First, he doesn't say put away some filthiness. 
Said, this is the protected filthiness, and this is the stuff we'll deal with because people can see it. Uh, you're right, he says, put away all of it. Uh, second, it's not active, it's, it's passive. You don't just sit back and think, you know what, tomorrow, maybe tomorrow, I am going to wake up, um, and my evil desires are going to be gone. I just won't do them anymore. Right? That's the way I'm hoping this, this goes. That, that's not going to happen. It, it will not happen in your life any more than you're going to wake up tomorrow and find that pile of laundry that you've been ignoring for a few days has suddenly been folded and put away. This doesn't mean it's, it's a work that you must do in your own power, though. In fact, any work you do in your own power is going to fail. And, and that's why James immediately follows this up by saying there in, in verse 21, right? Receive with meekness the, the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Any of you familiar with a, a device called a cochlear implant? Not many of you. Okay, a lot of good hearers in here. Uh, say your, your, your ability to hear, you didn't hear me, right, if you have this, just kidding. Uh, say your ability to hear is very weak or you have no ability to hear at all. A, a doctor can take this device called a cochlear implant and he implants it in your ear under the skin. It's actually implanted into your body. And, and that sends a signal to a device on the back of your ear uh, that gives you the ability to hear again. The implant leads to the hearing. It's, it's the implant that causes and empowers the hearing and to, to receive it, right? To receive this implant, one of the things that must happen is, is, is the person who needs it must let go of this self-sufficient pride of I don't need that, I'm strong enough, I can hear, just talk louder, right? That idea and just acknowledge, you know, I have a need for that because of a weakness, now, I hope you can see the analogy here. It's quite obvious, right? We receive the gospel message. We receive God's word only through the meekness that Paul talks about here. And remember, meekness, that's, that's the opposite of pride. That's the opposite of arrogance. That's the opposite of thinking you got it all together. And, and the point is here, as David Gibson states, he says, the word of God implanted in your heart is, is your very, in your very being can save you. That's... That's what the word applied by the Holy Spirit does. And, and notice, this time it's passive, right? You, do, you don't take the word, you receive the word. For furthermore, in the, in the New Testament, we, we see the term salvation three ways. And I think, unless you know that it's used in three ways, we kind of want to lump them all into like eternal salvation. Um, you know, believe the gospel, that kind of thing. The first is this past completed event that Jesus has accomplished. He has absolutely accomplished the finished work of our salvation. Uh, the second way that this word is, is used is this future reality that we're going to experience fully when Jesus returns, right? When he puts all things right. That's a future idea of salvation. And the third salvation is, is this present reality, something that is working out in us day to day that is, that is in process. It's like Paul writes about in Philippians 2.12. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's an ongoing work that God is doing in you and, and something that you are also seeking, right? That, that's how James uses it here. The, the bottom line here is that the only way that you and I are going to put away filthiness is if the, the word of God is implanted within us, which, which raises an important practical question for you. What, what place are you giving to the Word of God in your life? Right? Is it, a, is it a task to be checked off? Yeah, it did that again. I've done it seven days in a row. Right? Or, or do you view it like a, like a life-changing medicine to be received? Right? Do you, do you, do you treat Scripture as, as reading, right, as though it's some elevator 
pitch, you know what that is, right? Someone comes in the elevator and you realize, oh, the director's here. I've got, I don't know, a minute and a half to tell him whatever I want to say, right? You say, God, you've got, you got 90 seconds, God, of my focus before I'm going off somewhere else on a text or checking the weather or whatever it's going to be. Right? Do you view it that way or is a slow conversation with a dear friend, with a, with a wise physician? Now, as we, we learned at the start today, it, it matters how we listen. And, and nowhere is that more true than how we listen to God and His Word. We, we all need meaningful, focused time in God's Word. There, there will be no change apart from that. And to that end, right, put away distractions when you spend time with His Word. Now, finally... Tony in, in jail, he carried this heavy weight of, of needing to change everything. Right? Where do you even begin with that? And, and maybe you feel that too as we walk through this letter, right? I, I, I need to listen more, right? It's easy to get to the end of this thing. Oh, okay, I've got to listen better. I need to speak less. I need to get my anger under control. I need to put away all this filthiness and wickedness and so on and so on. But listen, I want you to look at this passage because chronologically, it, it all works backwards here. Right? And in meekness, we receive the implanted word, the gospel message and God's actual scripture, right? And, and the word works in our hearts so that we put away all filthiness and wickedness. That's the fruit that comes from it. In other words, it produces the righteous way of living that God calls us to. And a specific example of that is, is how we learn to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. Right? So let me remind you again that I told you at the beginning, the, the grace of God is, is not a reward for your efforts. The grace of God is the unmerited gift of God that secures your eternal salvation and empowers you for the good changes God has called you to. Right? Or actually, let me end with a, a quote here. I happened to read it this morning, just wrote it down. Uh, it's from Augustine, and it is Augustine. Augustine. Augustine is a, a city in uh, Florida. All right, and Augustine says this, grace is given not because we have done good works, but in order that we may be able to do them. Let's pray. Our, our merciful God who is pleased to condescend, who's pleased to speak to us through your word, give us today the grace of your Holy Spirit that we may believe what we have just heard in your word that we may, be, we may learn to be quick to hear, that we may learn to be slow to speak and slow to anger as we put away all filthiness, having received the implanted word. Lord, we ask that you would not give us this, this heavy burden that fears if we can't accomplish these things, that somehow we will not be redeemed and spend our eternity with you. But Father, let us not see these as terrible things that we have to do, but a way of living that, that is good and right, that is in your will, and, and may we seek after them knowing that they are good for us and they are good for the, the gospel, they are good for others. And this we pray in Christ's name. Amen.